Premier Christian Newscast. Hello and welcome to Premier Christian Newscast. I'm Tim Wyatt. Today's episode is a little different to normal because we're going to be handing over the show to a wide range of Christians, church leaders, worship leaders, bishops, ministers, pastors and others, to share their own personal reflections on Queen Elizabeth II, her life, her faith, and how her 70-year reign impacted them and their spiritual journey. The late Queen was not only the longest-serving monarch in British history and the head of the Commonwealth, but also a proud follower of Jesus, who inspired believers across the world with her humble yet deeply held faith. I hope this episode gives you just a flavour of the legacy on the church that the Queen leaves behind. Remembering Queen Elizabeth II her faith and her character. The passing away of the Queen hasn't only impacted people in the UK, but it's been felt around the world. Bishop Michael Curry is the head of the Episcopal Church in America. You may remember him as the person who preached at the wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan. She has been and is a reminder Um, that human dignity and nobility are possible, that that a life that is dedicated to God, um, dedicated to service of of all the children of God, of of her country, um, and indeed of of the world, of God's world, that a life that really was dedicated to that service um, is a life not only worth living for the person who lives it, Um, but it is a life that actually makes a difference in the life of the world. Um, This was someone who made a difference in the lives of people in Great Britain, but not Great Britain only, not just the nations of the Commonwealth, but the peoples of the earth. The the tributes that are pouring in at this moment are not pouring in because people have to write them or have to say them. They're pouring in because, you know, for one brief shining moment, um, we actually saw humanity lived at its best, through thick and thin, through good days and hard days. And it wasn't, obviously it wasn't always easy for her, but this remarkable woman showed us that God's vision of a human life well lived and lived in his honor and service is a life that makes a difference and is worth living. And for that, to God be the glory and thank God Almighty, and may she rest in peace and rise in God's eternal love and graciousness. I'm Elaine Duncan, and I'm the Chief Executive Officer of the Scottish Bible Society. I think for us, it was the general faith and demeanour of the Queen that was just constantly helpful to us. She became our patron in 1952, and for all those years, 70 years, it has just meant so much to us because of the clarity of her faith and how she articulated that. And others have picked up, haven't they, over these last few days, that that, it came across so clearly, particularly in her Christmas Day addresses to the nation and to the Commonwealth. And so for us, I think Her Majesty was a role model. Our work as a Bible society is to ensure that people have the Bible in a language that they can understand and in a a format that they can easily access, but so that they will encounter the Lord Jesus. We want people to have the Bible. We're very open-handed about how we encourage people into the Bible. It's not our job really to tell people what they should believe about the Bible, but we, we just want them to get into it because we know that God, by his Holy Spirit, will speak his message into people's hearts. And and I think the Queen displayed that attitude about her faith. She was clear about it, and she encouraged others to explore the reality of Jesus Christ. 
but she was never, um, it was never in your face, you know, she was always so gracious. And so, so I think to some extent her expression of faith ref at a personal level reflected something of how we want our work to be seen as we invite people to explore the Bible. Leslie Griffiths, Methodist minister, once president of the Methodist Conference, and now Lord Griffiths of Bury Port, been in the House of Lords for many years. I grew up in a little village in South Wales. I'm the son of coal miners and stonemasons and very working class people, and very, wait for it, anti-royalist people. The miners of South Wales didn't have much truck with the establishment in London. They'd gone on strike, they'd um, had to have Winston Churchill order the troops in to get them into control and so on. But I have to say that my grandparents and my mother, in the very humble abode we lived in, uh, seemed to think rather more of royalty than I thought was out there in the streets because from the Sunday newspapers, the people, I remember, and the news of the world, they did full-page spreads of the royal wedding, for example, and of the coronation, and when the children came, Charles and Anne particularly. And these newspaper pages were pasted on the walls of our little humble, it was really humble, it was in a brickyard dwelling. So I grew up with a sense of these strange, mysterious people far away, but there was undoubtedly um, admiration in the way my mother thought of the Queen. My mother had two children, the Queen had two children, I suppose that was it, I don't know. But she looked up to her. My mother didn't have much time or truck with local Christian churches. Um, she was a very humble person, she was divorced, she um, did the football pools, and she drank a little, she smoked, and all these kinds of things. And uh, she didn't want to go to the chapels because she'd be judged. But she somehow felt that the Queen wouldn't judge her. She looked up to the Queen. The more I look back at it, the more amazed I am at that phenomenon. And I remember when the Queen actually, at some stage, and I can't remember the date, was travelling from Carmarthen to Llanelli for some reason, we, all of us, went up to Achthi Corner, which is the most wind-swept corner in the entire world. And it was lashing down with rain, and the wind was high, and we all stood there just waiting for the Queen to go by in a car, which she did, but it was over in a flash. Why on earth did we do all of that? Well, it was respect, and it was affection, and I suspect it was the values that my mother thought the Queen embodied. I took that in with my mother's, well, not with her milk, but certainly from her conversation. And I've thought about that so many times over the years. There was something about her presence that was, wait for it, because it's obvious, regal and respectable and wonderful. Reverend Cindy Kenton, I'm as shocked and saddened as everybody else is by the news of the death of Her Majesty. This lady has served this country and, and of course the Commonwealth for over 70 years and 
During that time, I know she dedicated herself to a life of service and devotion. And those very first words she spoke when her father died about serving us. And my goodness me, has she done that? Throughout her life, of course, she's spoken openly about the very strong faith that she has and how that's helped and guided and sustained her. And I just think it's wonderful. And I've been blessed so many times by her willingness to share her faith in a public way. And of course, we share in the nation's grief today at the passing of this this wonderful lady. I think so many of us considered a kind of grandma. That's how I feel, as if one of my family has died. And I just know that there are so many people around who are really hurting the fact that she's gone and none less, of course, than her family, her close family. And we pray now for King Charles that he will pick up that mantle that she has dropped and passed on to him and that he will govern us in a true and fair and Christian way. I've just got back home from a meeting in London and somehow or other I couldn't resist going to Buckingham Palace to see the flowers and just read what people have said and one of them just said granny and it was it brought tears to my eyes just looking at it but there are hundreds and hundreds of bouquets of flowers and hundreds and hundreds of people but there wasn't the same stillness and silence as there was for Diana's death people were talking they weren't being rowdy but there wasn't that same kind of silence and it was interesting to see how many different sorts of people there were there. Great big burly men with hairy legs and hairy faces carrying a little bunch of flowers to go and put there. I wonder what it is that makes us want to display our emotion in that way. It's our way of saying, thank you, mum. Thank you, mum. Thank you so much for everything you've done for us. So I wonder if we could just close with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray for the Queen's family at this time. They've lost a mother and a grandmother, a great-grandmother in some cases, and of course a friend. So I want to say thank you, God, for her long life and for all that she's done, and especially in raising awareness of you in her life. And as we gather and we remember, we just think about those words that you said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And we are mourning at the moment, so I pray, Lord, that you will comfort us in our loss and our grief. Be especially close to King Charles and his immediate family and bless them with your wisdom and give us the grace to follow the wonderful example that she has left for us. We ask this prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Adrian Dorber, the Dean of Litchfield. My uh, biggest memory of the Queen was when she came to Litchfield a few years ago um, to be present at uh, a special service we had when the local TA regiment had come back from having done a deployment in Afghanistan. And it had been a very tough and demanding um, period for them. And so they were very, very glad to be able to have the medals awarded by the Queen personally uh, and to celebrate the um, a particular regimental anniversary. Now of course preparation for a royal visit is um, painstaking um, and lots and lots of detail has to be undergone and many drills and rehearsals um, and by the time the Queen came um, people were quite nervous and um, everyone was slightly on edge and all trying to do their best. Um, but she had the wonderful ability of putting everybody at their ease. Um, first thing she asked is, when was I last here? Um, so immediately kind of warmed to her. Um, she has a very, very engaging smile. And I was just amazed at the, the, the personal interest she took in every single member of the, of, of the, of the congregation who was presented to her. Um, one of the other things we all kind of forget in the television age is just just how small she was. And um, she was really quite pint-sized. We'd you know, put out an enormous chair for her and she was actually sort of having her toes, tiptoes almost on the floor. Um, 
she was also um, she also has a very mischievous wit had a very mischievous wit and um, uh, she said to me with a twinkle in her said I'm very very grateful we didn't sing any of those those kind of me too hymns so that were all hymns I could sing and I could endorse she said, there's just too much me in, in religion at the moment and I said well that's a very interesting observation Majesty well she said, just keep it to yourself <laughs> uh, well I have done until now um, but um, she was also um, impressive I think in her her Christian broadcast to the nation every single Christmas where she spoke increasingly frankly about her faith and what actually motivated her and gave her the strength to carry on um, and it was those those Christian virtues of kindness of selflessness um, of, of always trying to understand the other's point of view of really being able to sort of emanate um, a presence and a peace that comes from assurance in Christ um, and that ability to listen to so much and so uh, and so much so often and somehow kind of synthesize it and remain herself and uh, you know when you can think about other world leaders who are often full of ego I won't name any names but full of ego in the sense of me um, although the Queen had majesty and you know, all the worldly trappings of, of royal authority around her. There was an immensely humble person, I think, underneath all that, who was, when she said at the outset of her career, my whole life is given to service, and I think she lived by that. Hi, I'm Rob. I'm a police officer in Northamptonshire. Um, one of my roles is to look around um, searching and preparing for royal visits. Um, so on a couple of occasions we've had the opportunity to um, prepare the way, if you like, for, for the monarch to come and, uh, and visit us. Um, it's a real honour to have, uh, a, we consider her a boss really, in many ways we, we serve the Queen and um, making sure that she's safe and protected is a real responsibility and an honour and a privilege especially knowing that she is a woman of faith and um, we see in her Christmas messages and things how she talks about the importance of faith and in a time when the world is struggling it's really important to see that that faith is still at the centre of her responsibilities. Um, having someone who we can follow, knowing that their values reflect ours is really important always. There's that link sometimes between uh, Christians in the workplace you don't always need to know that they're a Christian but you can just tell um, and it's by the way they live their faith as well as the way they talk and their actions Reverend Anita Burke, curate at Oxclaws Church, Washington, Tyne and Weir. When I heard of the death of our Queen Elizabeth II, I knew I would feel sadness and grief. Elizabeth was a unique person, completely shaped by her sense of duty and by her faith, a person I admired and loved. What I did not expect to feel was the sense of loss related to losing her as a female leader. Elizabeth was an amazing example of the strength and tenacity in not just being a woman in what can still be a bit of a man's world, but a shining example of a woman of God. 
an example that has been there all of my life, an example I have admired, an example that has shaped my life. Lord, I pray that the example Queen Elizabeth has provided throughout her life will not be lost for the emerging generations of girls and young women, that Queen Elizabeth's faith in God will continue to be an inspiring influence for future women. Lord God, would you bring comfort to the royal family and the nations as we mourn? May we feel the closeness of your Holy Spirit at this time as you welcome your faithful servant Elizabeth into the kingdom of heaven. And Lord, would you bless our new King Charles? I pray that his faith in you will be strengthened by the example given by his mother. Amen. This is Matt Redman here, and it's a real privilege to get to speak for just a couple of moments about our Queen, Queen Elizabeth II, who sadly now we've lost. But what an amazing lady and what an amazing legacy. And thinking about it, processing it in this moment, just so grateful for some of the qualities that she possessed that we see so little of these days. Uh, my immediate thought when I heard of her passing was to think of that old phrase uh, when character was king, you know, and, and thinking that we live in a day and age where character is no longer king. And so what a fantastic thing to have a queen in this moment who possessed so much character that we could aspire to, so many qualities to look up to. And for such a long period of time, some people may know the limelight or carry a public office of some kind for years, maybe a decade. But who does that for seven decades? Quite astounding. And astounding really to think that from the very beginning, she showed such dignity in that role. You think about being age 25 and, uh, you know, they say heavy is the head that wears the crown. And think about being age 25 and taking on that huge burden and responsibility and role but how she's graced those years with such dignity so that even now so many years later and so many changes in the world later and even so many other leaders have changed around her 15 UK prime ministers 14 USA presidents so much has changed but she's been a constant and no one's saying she's the perfect person but it's a time to look back and be grateful to God for that leadership, for that dignity, for that stealth, and for a faithful character. So thank you, Jesus, today for our country. Thank you uh, for all that you're doing in our country. And in this moment, we grieve the loss of our Queen, and we draw near to you, and we ask you to meet us in this moment. And we thank you for a life well-lived. And we give you all the praise today, our King of Kings, Jesus.
My name is Rachel Whittington and I am the Group Chief Executive for Church Urban Fund. Queen Elizabeth has been a patron of Church Urban Fund for 30 years. I was travelling home last night and I came across an article by Rowan Williams about Queen Elizabeth. Um, this was in the First Things Journal and it was entitled Servant of God. And Rowan refers to one of those inevitable rounds of media questions in the days that followed the Queen's death, when one journalist asked a key question. He said, the Queen was anointed at the coronation, wasn't she? Did this make a difference to how she saw her role? Rowan believes that what the royal anointing means at its most important level is a gift of the Holy Spirit to hold a fragile human person in faithfulness to this place where community can gather for restoration and renewal. So thinking about how the Queen impacted the work of Church Urban Fund, I just thought this so beautifully conveyed what she meant to us, particularly during those last 30 years when she was a patron of our charity. Queen Elizabeth has inspired us all she had an amazing ability to bring people together and she had a deep commitment to serving others, both principles which our mission is founded upon. Premier Christian Newscast. Premier Christian Newscast. My name is Andrew Tremlett. I'm Dean of Durham. I've been Dean since 2016. Before then, I was a canon and sub-dean of Westminster Abbey from 2010 to 2016. One of the things that I, I think has been most profound about a long reign by Queen Elizabeth was the immense impact of her faith, not just in a five-year period or a ten-year period, but over decades and I'm reminded that during the celebrations around her jubilee year, she gave an address to both Houses of Parliament in the Great Hall of Westminster. And there was an absolutely lovely moment when she was invited to say a few words. I don't recall the exact words that she said, but uh, she, she, she remarked that she had signed into law something like 4,000 new laws or some you know, very significant number. And then there was a slight pause and she said, some of which were useful. And there was just this lovely sense of somebody who had seen in and out many prime ministers, had had those weekly conversations, was absolutely sharp about the affairs of state, was being regularly briefed you know, on a daily basis on what was going on in the country. Nothing was going to get past her. And so she realised that a lot of what she had signed into law, frankly, was not going to make a great deal of difference. But that's the long view. And I think what I've particularly valued is her sense um, really of steering in the Church of England. I think this is a really interesting thing, being governor of the Church of England, the supreme governor, uh, not the archbishop, not responsible for the actual workings of the church, but much more overseer. The, the word governor actually means the person who steers, the person who, who has their hand on the tiller of a, of a boat, and that sense of the long-term direction. And I recall very vividly her call to the Church of England not to see itself as a place of, of established privilege that, you know, by divine right somehow we had the right to have bishops in the laws or prayers in Parliament or access to education, all of those things. Uh, she said that we are there to hold the place of faith within the public sphere. That doesn't give us a monopoly, doesn't give us some sort of divine right. It just means that rather than a European secular model, uh, particularly in France, Belgium, where you would remove from the public square any attempt of faith engagement, actually that's not the, the British model. The British model is that faith is part and parcel of public discourse. And I thought it was absolutely fantastic that she said, 
Yes, it is that, and the Church of England really has a role to keep that discourse, uh, the religious nature of it there within the public sphere, but it doesn't do so by privilege or by right. It's got to earn that privilege. I think one of the things that probably isn't so obvious to the wider audience is uh, how Christian-focused the coronation itself is as an act. A lot of the symbolism is rooted in Old Testament traditions, came through to Western Europe through Byzantium and then Charlemagne in Aachen and all of those traditions. But actually, this is essentially a Eucharist. I mean, that's the heart of it, a, a communion service in which the monarch receives the bread and the wine, reaffirms their Christian faith, and of course in the English tradition is still very, very strongly and distinctively Christian. But the location is absolutely crucial. Obviously the idea in previous centuries was that you gathered as many of the the nobility, the lords uh, around you, so that there were literally thousands of witnesses and at the last coronation the queen's coronation in 1953 they built tiers uh, through westminster abbey so that thousands of people could pack in and would actually be able to see what was going on and in the midst of all that's happening and sitting on the coronation chair which is still there in the abbey of course that chair is placed over a very significant spot It's placed over the Cosmati pavement, which was put in when the abbey was, uh, the current abbey was was created in 1263. Uh, Craftsmen were brought over from Rome. Uh, They brought with them bits of marble that they then inserted. And in the centre of this is what looks to be a depiction of the world. And there the coronation chair is, is placed over this enormously powerful place and essentially it's a reaffirmation of Christian vows. So the coronation isn't simply a public spectacle, a sort of grand inauguration like you would have for a president, a a moment of, of national importance. It's actually about a personal reaffirmation of some very particular Christian vows and beliefs. And I think that's what makes coronation in the United Kingdom so very powerful and so very distinctive. Justice Minister. My enduring memory of the Queen is as someone who um, had a keen interest um, in the events that she attended. Um, one of the, the, I mean, there were very disparate events. One was a very formal event um, and a very auspicious occasion with the visit of the, the President of Ireland um, to, to England. The other was, um, I suppose, a much more lighthearted event when she travelled to Belfast and, and visited um, the studios that produced Game of Thrones. Um, and I recall on that particular occasion her sense of humour shining through because where she stood before the the throne in Game of Thrones um, in the production area um, someone asked her if she would like to try it out and she said it would not be protocol for one to sit on someone else's throne. She gave everyone a a, a laugh on that particular occasion but I think just her keen interest in people, her keen interest in what she was doing, she was always extraordinarily well briefed um, about what was happening but also just able to put people at their rest um, and at their ease because I think it's quite, it must be quite stressful I I think to be constantly meeting new people but also for those people at times to be slightly overwhelmed um, and she managed to make people feel comfortable. We are still very much, I think, feeling the absence um, of the late um, Queen. And I think many people will still be grieving that loss, not least of all um, the family. And that's always at the forefront of my mind. I'm David Winter. I was for 20 years a BBC producer and then head of religious broadcasting. And in those roles, I observed and had some input into the 
planning of the broadcasting of the Queen and the royal family. At this point, I suppose most of us will be thinking about the legacy that the Queen leaves us. Uh, she leaves us uh, as a wonderful figurehead, but she was so much more than that, as an example, an example of uh, unity and of, and of warmth and of bringing people together in all sorts of situations. She leaves us, of course, too, with a family whom we have come to regard with a great deal of affection. And I think most of us would feel that the future looks, looks good. And a lot of that is owing to the Queen's deep influence on the lives of these much younger people. I think the way in which she cared for her grandsons after Diana's death will have been an important shaping in their own lives. It certainly brought them to a tremendous sense of duty, which replicates what she has always stood for. And one hopes that uh, you know this legacy, that part of the legacy. Uh, will continue and continue. Will she be remembered like Elizabeth and Victoria? Well, she will be remembered like them, but I think in a, a different way, a much more affectionate and warmer way. One, one respects Queen Victoria, you know, for enormous reign and all the changes that happened in her lifetime in Britain. But I don't think most people feel great sort of warmth about her. But where this Queen is concerned, our beloved Queen who has died, I think warmth is what many people will feel. And as we're perhaps watching the funeral service on television, it will be that warmth and that uniting and that wisdom and calmness that we will be treasuring as a living memory, a memory that will be part of all we are going to be for the rest of our lives, probably. Part of the Queen's duties was meeting distinguished leaders of other countries welcoming them to uh, Windsor and uh, giving them a nice dinner, listening to their speeches and so on, universally describe her as a, a wonderful host and somebody who had great ability to make you feel at ease. Among uh, the guests, of course, were many, many religious leaders. I know that the, the archbishops uh, of the Church of England, for example, and the leaders of the other Christian churches who spent time with her were impressed by her grasp of the intricacies of the Christian faith and its challenges and problems. And uh, among those people she in invited was Billy Graham, and uh, not just once, but to preach at Windsor. And she spent time with him and I, I know because uh, I heard him say it myself that he was extremely impressed by her and by her, by her strong faith and by her hope that the message of the gospel would flourish in our land. I think that was part of her, part of her deepest hope for this country. Not in a way of making life difficult for the minorities, I mean, for example, I also know that she got on very well with the, the chief rabbis. Jonathan Sachs once remarked how charming and, and how well she understood the Jewish community. Well, that's interesting because it's not a very big community, but uh, he felt affirmed by her, and I think that would be true uh, you know, across the different uh, faiths in our country and the different... Christian denominations and so on. Perhaps the word I think that most sums her up is really uniting. That the role of the monarch is to unite, not divide. And she did that superbly, um, uniting people across perhaps religious differences, 
social differences, economic differences, political differences, seeking to bring people together rather than to accentuate the things that divide them. That we would like to think ought to be Britain at its best. That is the Commonwealth at its best, and that is when it works well. Hello, I'm Adrian Dorber, the Dean of Litchfield. My uh, biggest memory of the Queen was when she came to Litchfield a few years ago um, to be present at uh, a special service we had when the local TA regiment had come back from having done a deployment in Afghanistan. And it had been a very tough and demanding um, period for them. And so they were very, very glad to be able to have the medals awarded by the Queen personally uh, and to celebrate the um, a particular regimental anniversary. Now, of course, preparation for a royal visit is um, painstaking um, and lots and lots of detail has to be undergone and many drills and rehearsals. Um, and by the time the Queen came, um, people were quite nervous and um, everyone was slightly on edge and all trying to do their best. Um, but she had the wonderful ability of putting everybody at their ease. Um, first thing she asked is, when was I last here? Um, so immediately you kind of warm to her. Um, she has a very, very engaging smile. And I was just amazed at the, the, the personal interest she took in every single member of the, of, of the, of the congregation who was presented to her. Um, one of the other things we all kind of forget in the television age is just just how small she was and um, she was really quite pint-sized we'd you know, put out an enormous chair for her and she was actually sort of having her toes tiptoes almost on the floor um, she was also um, she also has a very mischievous wit had a very mischievous wit and uh, uh, she said to me with a twinkle and I said I'm very very grateful we didn't sing any of those those kind of me too hymns so that were all hymns I could sing and I could endorse. There's just too much me in, in religion at the moment. And I said, well, that's some very interesting observation, Majesty. Well, said, just keep it to yourself. <laughs> uh, well, I have done until now. Um, but um, she was also um, impressive, I think, in her, her Christian broadcast to the nation every single Christmas. But she spoke increasingly frankly about her faith and what actually motivated her and gave her the strength to carry on. Um, and it was those those Christian virtues of kindness, of selflessness, um, of of always trying to understand the other's point of view, of really being able to sort of emanate um, a presence and a peace that comes from assurance in Christ, um, and that ability to listen to so much and so uh, and so much so often, and somehow kind of synthesise it and remain herself. And, uh, you know, when you can think about other world leaders who are often full of ego, I won't name any names, but full of ego in the sense of me, um, although the Queen had majesty and you know, all the worldly trappings of, of royal authority around her, there was an immensely humble person, I think, underneath all that, who was, when she said at the outset of her career, my whole life is given to service, and I think she lived by that. <laughs> My name's Andy Windmill, I'm the director of Urban Devotion Birmingham, we're a youth, children and families project in North Birmingham rooted in prayer. The Queen, I guess I think of the Queen's speech every Christmas day, so growing up 
um, after Christmas dinner, we would always listen to the Queen's speech. And from a young age, being struck by the way she took the opportunity to point people to Jesus, um, to speak about him in an honouring way, to talk about the hope that he brings. And doing that often amidst some challenging circumstances, so whether the nation was in a particularly perilous moment, whether stuff had gone uh, wrong in her family in that year, actually she would always return the conversation to Jesus. And I think that that idea of returning a conversation to Jesus is something that as a Christian, as a Christian who engages in the public um, sphere, um, is something I find really inspiring and helpful. John Pritchard. I was a Bishop of Oxford, before that Bishop of Jarrow. I have a huge respect and admiration for the Queen and the way she has, over seven decades, um, the way she had carried that role uh, with absolutely appropriate dignity, reticence and loyalty. Quite remarkably, she maintained, it seemed to me, the kind of mystique of royalty uh, by not giving away too much, not being part of the the culture of self-disclosure that we have so much in society at the moment. So holding back and yet giving us appropriate insights into what it was like to be a queen and what she did as a queen. She, of course, knew more world leaders than probably anybody else. So she had an extraordinary wealth of knowledge, of insight, of experience. And I think she used that with, uh, with great wisdom. Um, she didn't overplay her role. She knew that as a constitutional monarch, there were clear limits to what she, how much she'd be able to influence um, events. But just a word from the Queen, an intimation of a view, uh, was enough to put, I think a government, a, a prime minister, uh, another leader, world leader, uh, on their guard because they would know that what she said was coming from real concern and real wisdom. So she was a remarkable person and of course what was particularly important to me was that she maintained her faith in a way which was, again, absolutely responsible in her role as the Supreme Governor of the Church of England but which was never uh, exclusive, never overplayed, but never underplayed either. So there would be constant references to her faith uh, in her Christmas messages uh, and then other things that she said, other speeches she made. And she didn't badger people with that faith, but it was there. Um, And everyone knew it was there. Everyone knew it was important to her. And uh, it was, I think, a very steadying influence both on her and on her family. So when, for instance, they went through such a, a terrible time, the Anna Cerebilis of the Queen, many years ago now, but a very difficult time, I think, again, her faith uh, was part of her strength and enabled her to rise up out of the ashes of that time and to put the royal family into a position of public applause and acclaim, such as it has had since. She was really a most remarkable monarch and history will look back at her as someone who saw enormous changes in society and in the country in the world as a whole Uh, enormous changes and yet she held steady and what held her steady uh, was her faith I'm sure that Charles will want to carry on a loyalty to the Church of England as its uh, supreme governor and that uh, he will do a fine job in a much shorter time frame than uh, his mother had but she will be missed enormously and looked back on as a a remarkable monarch in the uh, the Elizabethan reign which um, matched and in many ways outclassed the reign of the first Elizabeth she's made a contribution not only to 
our national life, but I think to uh, the Commonwealth and to world affairs that will be remarked on in history as really quite an essential gift to a very bewildered um, and bewildering time. She has had a great influence on very many uh, leaders, on very many ordinary citizens. She's met, after all, millions of us, and I think has everyone's affection. Um, yes, there are Republicans who will not perhaps believe in in our, our monarchy, but nevertheless, I think she still holds the respect and affection uh, even of Republicans. She's done a, a remarkable job. Vicky Earle, curate at St Michael of Belfry in York. In this time of great sadness, as we mourn the passing of our beloved Queen, one of the things I'm thankful for is how both in the way she lived her life and in the words she said, she continually pointed people to Jesus. And my prayer is that we would be inspired to do the same. Father God, we thank you for our Queen. We thank you for her faithfulness, for her good humour and for her love for our nation, her family and for you. And Lord, we pray as we mourn as a nation and across the world that for those who already are following Jesus, that we would be freshly inspired to live a life that points others to Jesus in what we say and what we do. And for those who don't yet know Jesus, we pray that as we hear more about the Queen's life and faith, that others would be inspired to consider Jesus, the one who sustained our Queen. Amen. I, with many around the world, and certainly those of us here in the United States, um, please want the people of the United Kingdom, all the peoples, to know um, we are praying for you and for the royal family, um, and we give God thanks with you um, for the life of, of Her Majesty.